Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Church, I just tell you, when Brother Jason came to me a while back and said, I've got a, I've got a vision for the Christmas uh, service this year, Pastor, if you're okay with it, I feel like I'd like to reach out to another church right here in our community and see if they would like to combine and do the Christmas service. What say you? And I said, I say I think we're on the same team, if I'm not mistaken. And we might just as well go and get used to singing together now because we're going to sing together in glory. And I praise God uh, for the vision that you will heed his call uh, to that. And I thank God for uh, their willingness to serve with us. And I look forward uh, to December 8th and 9th seeing Christ shown as incomparably glorious in two different locations. I thank God that Brother Danny would sing a song before he runs out. I'm going to thank him. <laughs> he thought I wasn't going to thank him. He took off. I thank God that, that Brother Danny would sing a song, I believe, in obedience to the Lord's call on his life. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary, and no matter what happens, I'll cling to the old rugged cross because this morning's message, uh, we're going to talk about the things that can't be shaken away. And at the end of the day, the thing that can't be shaken away is what Christ did for us on that old rugged cross. That faith that we have as a result of what Christ did for us on that old rugged cross when he died for our sins. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 25. And, and, and I thought this week, as I was preparing this message about the hurricane that was approaching the East Coast, and I thought about how at the, at the slightest voice of the weatherman, people started readying themselves for the storm that was coming. Did you notice that? The weatherman said there's a hurricane coming. They showed a picture of the hurricane hundreds and hundreds of miles off the coast. And they said, hey, it's, it's coming this way. It's going to make its way here. It's going to be here, you know, Wednesday or Thursday of next week. And everybody started getting ready all up and down the East Coast. I'm not saying that they should have, but everybody started getting ready. I thought about here at home, here we're getting into the season coming up where we're going to start having those, those dreaded visits from that, from that sinful white stuff from up north, right? And when the weatherman gives an inkling that there might be a chance of snow here in this area. What do people start doing? They start scattering, don't they? They look like flies running to the grocery stores, getting their waters and their milk. If you're in my family, you make sure you got just a couple of things when snow's coming. You make sure you got some sugar, you make sure you got some cream, and you make sure you got some vanilla, because that means we're making snow cream, boys. That's all we get ready for in the mall house. We might not have water, we might not have bread, but we will have fake ice cream. <laughs> but people ready themselves at the sound of a meteorologist who quite honestly is wrong 50% of the time. Now, I'm not the first to make this comparison, but I think you know where I'm going this morning. Why don't we listen when we hear the warning from a God that has been right 
100% of the time the way we do when the weatherman speaks. We've seen so much hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, floodings, and yet we seem to remain oblivious to the fact that in all of those things there is a spiritual voice crying out to us, ready yourselves for the end is near. Ready yourselves for the time is coming where you will have to stand before your maker and give an account for your life. And this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, we'll be on the subject of hear the voice of God. Now please stand if you're able in honor and reverence for the reading of the holy words of our holy God from Hebrews chapter 12 beginning in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. God, our Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is dwell among your people this morning and change our lives. God, we pray that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, and that I would be minimized in these words that are spoken. That if I would be prepared to say anything that is of error, Lord God, would you mute my mouth and bind the ears of those to hear it. That only the words of you would be spoken this morning. And God, at the end of the day, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that you do in our house this morning. For you alone are worthy of that. Father, we love you. In your precious name we pray, as all of God's children said. Amen, and you may be seated. The first thing we're going to look at this morning, and the first thing we need to consider as we dive into this text, is this thought. God will continue to speak to his creation. God will continue to speak to his creation. It, it, it could almost even have been God will continue to speak through his creation. And, and look at verses 25 and 27. That's where we're going to hone in here at first. He, he says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Don't refuse the voice of God. And then he begins to talk back uh, there in verse 26 to, to the time of Moses. And he says, listen, they, they, the children of Israel in the wilderness, they refused the one who spoke on behalf of God. They refused the voice of Moses. Moses would, would come down and he'd speak to them and they didn't hear, they weren't obedient to what Moses had to say. Now keep in mind the writer here is writing to those who would have understood that well. They're of the Jewish descent that the Hebrew writer is writing to. So when he tells this story and he says, listen, don't forget that when they refused the voice of Moses, when they refused to listen to what Moses had to say on God's behalf, they couldn't escape the punishment that came with that. They didn't have the ability to decide not to listen to Moses and escape flawless and without receiving some penalty of that. And so he says, listen, remember, God delivered them from Egyptian bondage 
And he had Moses there to lead them out of that. They'd been there for 400 years. And when they followed Moses as he gave glory to God and honored God, they became free from that bondage. And yet they got to the wilderness and they stopped listening to what Moses had to say. And they would be punished for that. And here the Hebrew writer says, listen, if those who were on this earth couldn't escape punishment for not hearing from the man who was on this earth preaching to them, do you think that we're going to to get away with it, not listening to the one who speaks from heaven? And then in verse 26 he says, if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, But now his promise saying, he's referencing back again. He's pointing them to Exodus 19. You remember the story, don't you? In Exodus 19, uh, God descended on Mount Sinai. It says there was smoke on the mountain so that the children of Israel couldn't see what was going on. And it says that God descended on that mountain in response to their disobedience. And the word of God in Exodus 19 says that it trembled violently. God came down and descended his wrath upon that mountain in such a way that the ground beneath them shook and the mountain began to shake. And he says, he shook the earth then. And he'll shake it again in such a way that not only the earth shakes, but that the heavens will shake. In other words, what what God is saying here is I shook the earth to get my message to my creation, and I did it before, I'll do it again. In fact, I'm going to shake it up worse than I did last time. You think when I shook it before, I was showing off. You wait until I shake it so much that the heavens and everything else fall apart. I will use my creation to speak to those who I've created in my image. And so what does all that even mean? So that's a good history lesson, Brother Jason. But what's that, what's that mean? How do I apply that to the nitty-gritty today? What about Revelation 6 with me for just a minute? You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But in Revelation chapter 6, if you want to write it down and go there later, beginning in verse 12, John writes, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became as black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The sky vanished like a scroll rolled up. And every mountain and every island was removed from its place. Now, does that sound like shaking to you, folks? As John is writing from the Isle of Patmos about the vision for the end of the times. And he says that it shook so much that the sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became as blood. And the sky disappeared, rolled up like a scroll. And the islands shook from where they were at. Now, that sounds like a shaking greater than the shaking that happened in Exodus 19, don't you? God is going to deliver on that. He's going to shake it up a little bit. And then fast forward, it says in in Revelation 6, John says, Everyone, the mighty, the generals, the ones that rule, all the way down to the slaves, everybody who is there is going to hide in the caves, and they're going to say, Fall on us and hide from us from the face of him that's seated on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand before it. What the Hebrews writer is teaching us, what John is showing us in Revelations chapter 6, is that God is going to continue to speak to us. He's going to continue to speak through his creation. He's going to continue to speak to us. And the purpose of his speaking is going to be that we would recognize that there is coming a day where we're going to have to stand before our maker and everything that we have is going to have fallen away. It's going to be shaken away. It's going to be gone. And all we're going to be left with 
with is whether or not we've got Jesus. That's all we're going to have left. Everything else is going to shake away. It's going to continue to happen. God is going to continue to speak to us. And those of us who are unbelievers are going to be stood having rejected God and we're going to be hiding from his face because the unbelievers are going to look and they're going to know the wrath of God is coming and I've not heeded the warning in time. But for those of us who are believers, praise God, we're going to be standing on that unshakable foundation we're going to talk about in just a minute. The world will be turned upside down. God is going to continue to shake and speak and reveal. And one day, everybody is going to have to give an account. And all they're going to be left with is where they stand with that hill called Mount Calvary. Did we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Matthew 24, as he writes about these end of times, he uses the description. He says, there'll be wars, there'll be rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes, there'll be famines. And he goes on to use an interesting word. He says, these are the beginning of sorrows in some translations. In some translations, he says, these are the pains of birth. These are the pains of birth. And I think the pains of birth is, is actually a better translation than sorrow for that Greek phrase. But why does that even matter? Well, if you, if you think about that, he's talking about the shaking John writes in Revelation, right, we've seen what John's talking about, we've seen what the Hebrew writer's talking about, and here in Matthew 24, he's talking about the end of times, he says, let me compare it to the birth pangs, and I believe there's a twofold reason for that. Ladies, I've obviously never been through it, but some of you can attest to what I'm about to say. With childbirth, as the time draws nearer for the birth. The pangs of labor increase with intensity and frequency, right? That's why suspecting dads or expecting dads start getting their stopwatches out when the contractions start. And they go, well, they're, they're this far apart, they're this far apart, they're this far apart. And when they start getting closer and closer and closer and the, the intensity of the pain increases and the frequency of the pains increase, you say, all right, it's time to go. We're getting ready for this great thing that's going to happen. The great event is coming, Right? So the intensity and the frequency of the shaking increases. Second thing I believe that like with the birth of a child, that labor might be intense, that labor is going to be painful, but what happens as soon as that child is born, all mothers forget the last hours, don't they? All mothers immediately seem to forget how much they hurt and how intense the pain was and how frequent the pain was because what is coming is greater than what they had before. Right? What is coming is greater than what they had before. And so I think that's an interesting comparison when we talk about the world and the current state of the world and the times that are coming and, and the shaking of God that is coming. If you look at all of the calamities that are going on in this world, I believe that we would have to say that God is shaking with more frequency. God is speaking with more thunder. God is speaking in such a way that we need to heed what he is saying. And so when we ask this question, because it always comes up, why do we see more flooding? Why do the hurricanes seem more intense? Why do the tornadoes 
uh, seem to spurn more regularly? Why do these natural disasters seem to occur with more frequency and seem to be uh, worse than they were before and, and have a greater effect before? And, and a lot of scientists would say, well, it has to do with uh, the eroding of the ice caps. It has to do with the changing uh, of the atmosphere. It has to do with the magnetic pull of the moon on the sun, on the earth, on the star. And I don't know what all that means. But what I do know is that God says he's going to continue to speak to us and that God is going to continue to speak through his creation to those whom he created. And I might be inclined to just answer this way. Sometimes God might continue to shake us because we didn't listen the first time. Maybe God is continuing to shake because there's so many people that refuse to hear that he is God. You say God is in control of the weather? Sure God is in control of the weather. I believe that my God is a sovereign God. I believe he's in control of all things. I believe he knows all things. He does all things. He sees all things. He's been everywhere and he's always. If you don't believe that, you don't believe in the God of the Bible that I believe in. So yes, I believe that God speaks in these ways. God is sending a message. But it's not a message of fear. If you think about it, think about the labor pangs, right? The frequency and the intensity increases. Why? Because what's coming is greater than what you've got now. And I believe God is speaking his message and he's shaking in our lives and he's shaking in this world in such a way not to give a message of be afraid, be very afraid, but to give a message of hope that there is something greater than what you have now. There is an everlasting eternal hope in Jesus Christ. You can place your faith and your, your hope and your trust in him and it is far greater than what you have right now. So what does that mean to you this morning? It means perhaps you need to ask yourself very simply this question. Are the coincidences that I've been writing off in my life coincidences, or are they in fact the shaking of God in my life? Because I wouldn't hear from him when he spoke to me otherwise. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that this book right here, this one, is all we need to hear from God. It says it's all we need to have sound doctrine. It's all we need for correction in our lives. It's all we need for reproof. And it is the primary method by which Jesus has used to speak to all of us. And that is the only method that we should need. But, unfortunately, we're a bunch of knothead, stubborn Baptists and sinful people. And when the word often is presented to us in a sound way, we sit quietly and say, that wasn't for me. That doesn't apply to me. And so God has to speak to us sometimes in a more intense way, and he has to shake us a little bit. And so I ask you to consider that in the first point this morning. What is God saying to you? He's already tried to reveal it in his word. It's already been proclaimed to you. But what is he shaking in your life? And why is he shaking you in that way? Second this morning, I want us to look at even better news. God's children, we have an everlasting inheritance. God's children have an everlasting inheritance. Verse 28 says this. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us have 
grace. Therefore, my brethren, my brothers, he's writing, he says, therefore, we have a kingdom that can't be shaken. We have this this thing which cannot fall away. We have something that we can cling to. We don't have to worry about the shaking. We don't have to worry about the quaking. We don't have to worry about what John writes about in Revelation. We don't have to worry about what, what Matthew writes about with the birth pangs. Why? Because if we're a child of God, we can stand firm on the foundation that what we have cannot be shaken away. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be squashed. It cannot be minimized. It cannot be pulled away. It cannot go somewhere else. If we are a child of God, then our salvation rests in a God that created all things. And everything that we have rests solely on the nail-scarred hands of a Savior that died for us. Bless God, if you're a child of God, you've got something that can't be shaken away no matter what happens. And that's the grace. That Jesus has imparted on us. Not because we deserved it. Not because we should have had it. Not because we was good enough. If you're a child of God this morning, I think you would be able to look at your life and say, there was nothing about me worth saving, but Jesus paid it all anyway. There was nothing about me worth rescuing, but Jesus rescued me anyway. And that's grace and that's mercy. Now does this mean that as believers... We don't have to worry about the shaking. Well, yes and no, it means that. What do you mean, Brother Jason? That's a double answer. There you go, giving one of them. I can't be wrong because I answered it both ways answered. You're right. But here's what I mean by that. It means that as a believer, we may very well be shaken to our very core. We may very well be shaken and see that everything that we have may fall away. Everything that we've put our hope in that isn't Jesus may very well shake away from us. Everything on this earth that we've worked to gain may very well be shaken away in a moment. But as a believer, when there's nothing else left, we'll still know that we have it all in Jesus Christ. Think about that. We have many different ages represented in this congregation. We have those who are just heading in to their careers, thinking about how they're going to pay the next light bill, not how they're going to retire well. And then we have those that are heading into retirement thinking, have I done enough in the last 25 years to make sure that my security is set in place? And then we have those that have retired that have realized, I probably didn't have enough, but I'm still getting by. And can I just tell you that no matter which stage you're in, it can all be gone with one big shake. Most of you have lived long enough to have seen that. It doesn't take but it takes one one diagnosis of cancer. It takes one heart attack. It takes one fire. It takes one shaking in your life. That all of that security that you've built up can be gone in just a moment. But bless God for a child of God. While all of those things you have on this earth can shake away, you can stand firm on one thing, and that is knowing that you've got a Jesus that already paid the greatest debt that you couldn't pay. And when you've got nothing else, as long as you've got Jesus, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. 
this week, there were certainly people on the East Coast who were children of God that lost everything in floodwaters. That shaking was real for them. That pain was very real for them. But if they're children of God, they got something that the storm couldn't wash away. As a believer, there's not one thing in Scripture that says our cross won't be heavy. There's not one thing in Scripture that says we won't be persecuted. There's not one thing in Scripture that says that we're insulated or protected from the things of this world that can go wrong. But I think Paul said it best in the book of Romans when he said this. He said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, not things to come, not things that are present. No height, no depth, no creature can separate me from the present powerful love of God. So what does that mean to us? It means we can stand and say, I am persuaded that the loss of the job can't separate me from the power of God. I am persuaded that the loss of my relationships here on this earth cannot separate me from the love of God. I am persuaded that no tornado, no flood, no hurricane, no fire can separate me from the love of God as a child of God. I am persuaded that no bankruptcy and no famine. I am persuaded that nobody can badmouth me enough. I am persuaded that not one thing on this earth can happen, whether it be from Satan or whether it be from people or whether it be from something happening from, from nature, no matter what it is, I am persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Teach y'all a Greek word this morning. Nothing. In the Greek, do you know what it means? Nothing. I have nothing in my left pocket. Now I have nothing in my left pocket. That means there ain't nothing in there. And so when Paul writes that nothing can separate me from the power of God and the love of God in my life, he means... Nothing. There's no translation error there. Nothing can separate me. I'm going to take a page out of T.D. Jake's book here. He does this in his congregation in Dallas. They start slinging their suits around when he does this. I'm going to see how it works with a bunch of Baptists. Y'all going to have to follow directions. It's going to be hard. You've never done it. But it ain't going to be too scary. I want you to look to your neighbor. Everybody look at your neighbor. That's the person beside you. And I want you to say this to them. Nothing can separate you from God. Let's try it. Y'all did way better than I thought you'd do. Nothing can separate us from God. If you are a child of God, nothing can come between you and God. Everything can go away. Your house can burn down. Your wife can leave you. Your dog can die and your pig can get sick. But the good news is the grace of God cannot be taken or shaken. And when all of those things go away, you can stand on the firm foundation that it's okay because I'm a child of the King. My friend, if you don't know this morning, 
that you can say that. I want you to listen to this next section in verse 29 this morning. Our final point is this, that God will be the ultimate judge. God will be the ultimate judge. We're about to close it up. Verse 29 is very simple. It says, for God, for our God is a consuming fire. It doesn't say he can be, doesn't say that he might be. It says that our God is a consuming fire. In scripture, every time that fire is used, almost every time, excuse me, almost every time that, that this word of fire is used in, in, in reference to God, it's, it's talking about a purifying sense. It talks about burning away any impurities. It talks about uh, a refining fire, getting rid of the things that need to be gotten rid of. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3 of a fire that consumes the elements. We've seen, if you've looked in the Old Testament on, on the Mount of Carmel, you saw that God rained down a fire on the prophets of Baal. We see these things happen. And the fire of God is used. It's a powerful tool of judgment to get rid of the impurities. And the fire of God is going to fall. We are going to be judged. And my question this morning to you is this. When everything else is shaken away and the all-consuming fire of God is upon you, will you be holding on to your philosophies? Will you be holding to your good ideas? Will you be holding to your good intentions? Will you be holding to the good works that you did, to all of the classes you attended, all of the books that you read, all of the times you fed the homeless? Will you be clinging to those things? Because I've got news for you, as, as, as many of those things are good, those are shakable possessions. And when that great shaking occurs, they're going to be gone, and you'll be standing there naked without all of those things to stand on? Or will you be covered in the blood of Jesus in such a way that when everything, I want you to think about this. If you're a child of God, when that great shaking occurs and everything falls away and you stand before God with nothing else, if you're a child of God, God is going to take one look at you. You know what he's going to see? Jesus. He's not going to see you. If he saw you, you'd be in trouble. The word of God says Jesus is my substitutionary atonement. He paid my debt, and he's going to stand there in judgment. God is going to look upon me, and he is going to say, Jesus, come on. You're my child. You're mine. Is God your fellowship? Is he your communion? Is he your everything this morning? Is he your security? Will you receive this morning a kingdom that can't be shaken? Jesus said to do this, you've got to be like a little child. You can't enter that unshakable kingdom unless you enter like a little child. How do you become like a little child? You humble yourself. One thing I've learned from raising my children is that it don't take but just a minute for a child to realize what he can't do. Ain't that the beauty of it? I'll tell you as a grown man, I'll bang my head against a wall for four hours before I'll call somebody and ask them to help me. Because I'm not yet convinced that I can't do it. But my son, my son can look at a situation and in about 30 seconds realize it's beyond his capability and he'll say, Daddy, Daddy, can you do this? 
You know what I do every time? I do it. Because I love my son. That's what it says when he says we got to be like little children. We got to come to the point where we say, God, Daddy, I can't do it. Daddy, I can't do it. And bless God, we serve a God that will boom down. And he'll say, Son, you weren't supposed to. Come on, get up. I got this. Will you receive that kingdom that can't be shaken this morning? Let us pray. Father God, we come to you. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you that if we are your children, if we know that we cry out, Abba, Father, and you are our Savior, that that can't be shaken away. No matter what happens, no matter how bad it seems, no matter how twisted the, the journey may become, God, we know that that cannot be shaken away. God, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But God, even as your children, sometimes we need to be shaken. And God, I believe in the house this morning, there are believers that have been shaken. There are believers that are, are hearing from you. God, would you prick their souls as only you can? Would you convict them as only you can, God? That they might come and say, I surrender all to you, God. I know I can't do this. I've made a mess of this myself. And God, we know that you're faithful. That you'll forgive them their sins. They'll cleanse them their unrighteousness. You'll pick us up and you'll say, you weren't supposed to. Put it in my hands. But God, I'm also keenly aware that in a crowd this size, there's somebody here that has never truly put their faith and trust in you. They've put their faith and trust in the world. They've put their faith and trust in themselves, in their families, in their lineage, and in who they come from, and what they think they are, and what they have. And they've tried to do it on their own, Lord God. But you're speaking to them this morning. In a still small voice, you're saying to them, surrender it all this morning. You're calling out to them, God, help them hear your voice this morning. That they might come and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. God, we promise we will give you the glory and honor. We'll take none for ourselves for what you do this morning. For it is in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Please stand. Please stand as we sing. will
for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.